Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Sharissa Fong. I'd just like to open with an added word of prayer myself before we go any further. Father in heaven, I thank you for bringing us here so early this morning. I just pray now that you would speak through me, that you would take away any self and any nerves, and may Jesus shine forth is my prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of two brothers, ages 8 and 10, and they were giving their mother quite a lot of trouble. So she decided that she would take them down to the local pastor to see if he could help straighten them out. And when she took him to the pastor, he was very happy to help her. And he took the younger brother into his office. The older boy sat outside. He sat him down in front of his desk and he looked at him and he said, Where is God? At this, the young man's eyes opened wide, but he didn't answer. And so the pastor raised his voice a little and he said, Young man, where is God? This time, the boy began to squirm in his seat, but still he didn't answer. And so a third time, the pastor asked him a little more forcefully, Young man, answer me. Where is God? At this, the eight-year-old jumped up out of his seat, took off out of the office and down the hall. And when his older brother saw him take off, he ran after him. And when he finally caught up with him, he said, What's the matter with you? Why are you running? And when he could catch his breath, the little boy said, Oh, we're in big trouble this time. God is missing, and they think we did it. <laughs> Friends, the good news this morning is this. God isn't missing. Amen? The Bible tells us from the creation of the world that his invisible attributes have been clearly seen. And yet, right throughout Scripture, we find that God calls us to seek him over and over again. Not because he is lost, but because without him we are. Amen? And it reminds me of a text in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. Jeremiah Chapter 29, verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. It's the words of God. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. The Bible says, God says, He says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with part of your heart. With all your heart. That's what God's promise is. And friends, once upon a time, there was a man who sought God, who set his heart to seek God, and as promised, he found him. He was the great-great-grandson of King David, the great-grandson of Solomon. Asa had the blood of mighty men coursing in his veins. But the Brady Bunch wasn't perfect, and neither was everyone in Asa's family tree. The Bible's final verdict on his grandpa, Rehoboam, was an epitaph that effectively read, God was not important to him. 
and his own father, hardly the picture of a godly father, he married 14 women and reigned just three short years. But friends, God is never left helpless among the ruins of our lives and God's grace was still at work in Asa's life. And the Bible begins his three-chapter biography in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 14. So come with me to 2 Chronicles, chapter 14. 2 Chronicles, chapter 14, and we'll pick up reading his story in verse 2. 2 Chronicles, chapter 14, verse 2. The Bible says, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he removed the altars of the foreign gods and the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom was quiet under him. You know, in the spirit of prophecy, there is a wonderful quote, March 22, 1887, from the Review and Herald that says, A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this shouldn't be our second work, it should be our first work. And friends, Asa made seeking a revival of true godliness his first work. It was the dawning of a new day in Judah, an exciting time to be alive. Rising to the throne in 911 BC, get it, 911, it is almost as if God raised Asa up for the spiritual emergency of the times. I have no doubt that Asa's commitment to godly leadership put people offside. But friends, Asa wasn't trying to win a popularity contest. Opinion polls didn't faze him. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Asa chose to surrender all that he was to all that God is, and he chose as a young man to do what was good and right in the eyes of God, not in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of God, and he called others to do the same. The land was purged of idolatry. People turned to the word of God, and obedience was the fruit of this activity. It was the work of the Spirit. And you say, hang on a minute, Sharissa. Don't go putting things into the text that aren't there. I read no mention of the Holy Spirit here in this passage, so how can you say that this is the work of the Holy Spirit? I'm so glad you brought that up. Because, friends, I am reminded of a verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of what? It's the way of death. And, friends, you don't have to be Einstein to know that this is true. I am, I've just finished studying to be a high school teacher of English and history. And in my short time in PRAC, on PRAC, in, in certain schools in Australia, I know that you just have to leave a classroom for three or four minutes and then come back to know that it is dangerous for us to be left to ourselves. Which is why, friends, the first work of the Holy Spirit is the work of conviction. He works to convince us 
to convince the world of sin. The second work of the Spirit is the work of conversion. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. And that work of being born again, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He converts us. Amen. The third work of the Spirit is the work of cleansing. It's the process of sanctification, which lasts not just for a day or for a week, but for a lifetime. Under the work of cleansing, the fruits of the Spirit are developed in our lives. We have here too the gradual filling of the Spirit. And so friends, as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit and look at Asa's life, it is very clear to me that Asa was a man whom the Holy Spirit was working through because the fruit of the first 10 years of his life proved this to us. But friends, every path has some puddles and Asa's life was no different. Notice what happens, verse 9. 2 Chronicles 14, verse 9. The Bible says, Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marishah. The news hit everybody like a sonic boom. For 10 years, the sirens hadn't sounded to herald the approach of an enemy, and now they screamed from every corner. This was more than just a disastrous WikiLeak. Zerah's army was the largest army that had ever been assembled in human history at that time. Nearly twice the size of Asa's army, and stopping just six kilometers short of the capital of Judah, Jerusalem, in Marishah, Friend Zerah wasn't playing games. He was threatening Judah with obliteration. Now, years ago, my parents decided to go out one night with some friends of theirs from church to go out to dinner. And the good thing about that was that all my parents' friends had kids that were around the same age as my sister and I. And so the parents all decided that they would get a babysitter to look after us, and we thought that was great. And so that night we had a fantastic time. We ate lots of food, played games together. And as the time was going on and they still weren't home, we decided we'd watch a video to relax. And as we were watching this video, we heard footsteps coming round the back of the house. And when we heard the footsteps, we froze. And we looked at our babysitter. She was to be our defender. She was the one that our parents had entrusted the privilege of protecting our lives and she was even going to be paid for it. But do you know what happened when she heard the march of those footsteps coming around the back of the house? She froze and got scared too. And let me tell you, when the babysitter gets scared, when the leader gets scared, it's very, very scary. Thankfully, it was just my parents returning to get us from the back of the house. I don't know why they came round the back. But listen, did Asa freeze like my babysitter when he heard the march of a million men coming towards his kingdom? Well, let's see what happened. Somebody already knows the answer. Notice with me verse 10. So Asa went out against him. And they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marishah. And verse 11, And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, 
whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Verse 12. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Friends, when life knocks you to your knees, pray there. Amen? Asa had a computer. Sorry, he had an army like you and I have a computer, like you and I might have a watch. And the Bible tells us that his army, they were all mighty men of valor, equipped with the finest weaponry, trained in the most skilled military tactics. Asa could have trusted in his army. But instead, the Bible tells us that Asa was on his face before God, crying out and saying, Armies are not the decisive thing, O God. You are. And friends, when you rely upon organization, you get what organization can do. When you rely upon eloquence, you get what eloquence can do. When you rely upon education, you get what education can do. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But friends, let me tell you, when you rely upon God through prayer, you get what God can do. Amen? How do you explain it? Someone once asked a lady after she had shared an answer to prayer. She said, I don't. It doesn't need explaining. I just took God at his word and he took me at mine. That's why there is power in prayer, friends. There is power because of relationship. And Asa, he says, O Lord, you are our God. The Bible says he called out on the Lord, his God. Power because of relationship. There is power because of dependence. He says, O Lord, we rest on you. Asa was depending on God. And there is power because God's desire is always to preserve his honor. And Asa appeals to this in his prayer. He says, in your name, we go against this multitude. In the spirit of prophecy, Mrs. White says his petitions showed that he was not a stranger to God's wonderful power. I had the privilege of traveling to the state below mine in Australia, Melbourne. You may not have ever heard of that place, but it's in Australia, I promise you that. I went to Melbourne and I spent a week with a church there. We had a a week of revival. And during that week, I got to meet some wonderful people, but there was one story that stood out to me. A lady, she came and she told me the story of her son who was coming to the meetings. And when you looked at him, you could see that he'd, he'd been through some accident Jerry, she told me, that's her son, he's 31. Last year in August, he was in a very bad car accident. And she received the phone call the next day to tell her that her son was in hospital. He was in a coma. Uh, It wasn't looking good. He was on life support. Could she please come in? She went in. The family rallied round that bed. They prayed for six days. And after six days, the doctors told her, they said, look, you may as well... Just, I think we have to turn the life support off. It's too expensive and Jerry's not improving. He hasn't improved at all. But his mother is a lady of prayer. 
And she told me in her own words, she said, I didn't let that happen. She said, I fought him and I fought him. And she's quite a big lady, so I imagine that she would have fought him. And she fought him and she made the doctors keep Jerry on life support for six weeks after they told her to turn it off after six days because it was too expensive. And friends, she kept praying and guess what? Jerry walked out of that hospital. So God answers prayer. And friends, in answer to the prayer of Asa, the power of Ethiopia was broken before the Lord and his army. And as the rejoicing troops were returning home, laden with spoil, with the spoils of war, the Bible tells us in the next chapter that he was met, and the armies, they were all met by another man filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's see who it was. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 of Second Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 15, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you you verse 7 and 8 but you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded and when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet he took courage and removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim and he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Azariah, whose name means Yahweh has helped, comes and tells Asa that because he had made it his lifestyle to seek God, God had been able to bless him. Amen? God had fought and God had won. The glory was all God's. And by the way, friends, the glory is still all God's. There has never been, nor will there ever be, room for the glory of God in the work, so the, for the glory of man in the work of the gospel. It's all God's glory. But one of the parts of this message was, be strong and do not be weak. Question, how was Asa meant to be strong? By doing push-ups? By running around the block every day? No, friends, the secret lay in the same message. The Christian strength lies always in seeking and clinging to God. The story is told of a student who had a teacher, a spiritual teacher, and he went to him one day with this question. He said, teacher, how can I truly find God? The teacher looked at his student, smiled and said, follow me. And he led him out and he led him down to a river. And when they got to the river, the teacher walked into the river. And when he got to the middle, he looked back at his student and he said, Come, follow me, come into the river. So the student followed him into the river. And when they got to the middle, they stood side by side and the teacher said, Now please, immerse yourself beneath the water. The student looked at the teacher and said, Okay. So he immersed himself beneath the water in that river and as soon as he was beneath the water in that river, the teacher placed his hands on his head and he held him there. 
And as the moments began to pass, the student began to struggle. But still, the teacher held him there. You've got to watch these teachers. Still, the teacher held him there. And the arms were flailing and the legs were trying to push up, but still, this teacher held the student there. And after a few long, what seemed painful moments for the student, finally his teacher removed the hands and up he shot with aching lungs, gasping for air. And when he finally caught his breath again, the teacher just looked at his student and said, when you desire God as truly as you desired to breathe the air you just breathed, then you shall find him. The key to revival and blessing in the time of Asa is the same as the key to revival and blessing today. We need to set our hearts to seeking God. And I believe that's why you're here. We're here to pray, Lord, fill me. This is our earnest plea. Every morning when you wake up, are you setting your heart to seek the Lord? Do you look up before you look out? Some people go a long way on a good comment, and it appears that Asa was such a person. Encouraged by the preaching of God's prophet, he threw himself into the work of revival again, and the former revival took on new life. Notice again with me verses 9 through to 11 of chapter 15. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, for they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa, and they offered to the Lord at that time seven hundred bulls and seven thousand sheep from the spoil they had brought. George Whitfield was the 22-year-old boy preacher from London who took the world by storm. He shook much of Great Britain and this country right here, the United States of America. And he had every reason to fear popularity and success. Whenever he took the pulpit, people would crowd to hear him by the thousands. And as a result of this, thousands of people were converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why one night, as a 22-year-old, George Whitfield found himself kneeling beside his bed and he prayed, O Heavenly Father, for thy dear son's sake, keep me from climbing. Asa might well have needed to pray this prayer, for his popularity too was climbing. He was soaring and headed for the stars. You see, a revival was taking place. Judah was praying at 7 in the morning and 7 in the evening, and they were doing it seven days a week. Israelites in the northern kingdom were flocking to the south, craving for godly leadership. Church membership was up. Pews were packed. Tithe was up. The prayer meetings were full. And I'd like you to notice something. Did you notice that it says in verse 10 that they gathered in the third month? of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. This is quite interesting to me because did you know, do you know what happened in the third month? Nope, that's what I'm going to tell you. In the first month, on the 14th day of the first month, according to the Bible, that was the time of 
Passover. Fifty days after that, or whenever the barley and wheat harvests were ripe, they would have a feast called the Feast of Weeks, okay? Which means that the occasion for this great national assembly that we read here in Second Chronicles in the third month was most probably the occasion for the Feast of Weeks. That would explain why they're all together. And in the Greek, the Feast of Weeks is also known as Pentecost, meaning 50. Now, friends, when you and I think of Pentecost, we immediately throw our minds back to Acts chapter 2 and we imagine a room full of believers, 120 in an upper room, on their knees with tongues of fire above their heads. But friends, the last Pentecost wasn't quite like the first Pentecost. The very first Pentecost happened when, the, when God brought his people out of Egypt and they were around the base of Mount Sinai and God gave to them the Ten Commandments. If you want to check me up on that, you can see that happened in the third month, Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. That's where you'll find it. And when God gave to his people the Ten Commandments at this first Pentecost, he, his law was proclaimed to make, to make clear three key ideas. Number one, the nature of sin. Sin is transgression of the law. Number two, the qualities of the law of righteousness. That's from Romans 9 verse 31 if you want to check that up. And number three, the inescapability of the judgment, that we will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. That was what was proclaimed back at Sinai. And it's interesting because when we cast our minds now to Acts chapter 2, we find that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, he simply reinforced what happened at Sinai because he came to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So friends, what we're looking at right here in the book of Second Chronicles is very exciting. Amen? Is it just me that gets excited about these things? But this is, could very well be, and I believe it is, a celebration of Pentecost, an Old Testament example. And what happens here? Notice verses 12 and 13. It says, Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Talk about having an effective revival. Uh, there were no half measures in this one. You were either seeking God or you weren't. And if you weren't, you were just taken right out. To not seek God during the time of Asa, friends, was to commit a crime worthy of capital punishment. Read on. Verse 14. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. And you know what? For 20 years after this, God blessed Asa. God's sunny providence shone upon him in every direction. And for 35 years all up, Asa enjoyed the blessings of God, the blessings that come from an abiding relationship with him. But a faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. And so read on, 
chapter 16, verse 1. This is the final chapter. Chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Well, suddenly the plot thickens. Baasha, king of Israel, barricades Judah by fortifying Ramah, a city just six, 12 sorry, kilometers north of Jerusalem, and the move spelt one word to the inhabitants of Judah, invasion. This had the potential of crippling their economy like the debt crisis or even worse. Something had to be done or else the people might starve to death because Rama was sitting right on their trade route. And so Asa, he's always a man of action. He quickly moves into action in verse 2. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house. And he sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that, so that he will withdraw from me. There was no prayer meeting this time. Instead, Asa emails the king of Syria, who happened to be an enemy of God, and calls him, he bribes him to come and help him, and he bribes him using God's money, he didn't even ask God, to come and attack Israel and therefore get Israel off his back. Did it work? Verse 5. Now it happened when Baasha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Work to treat. Strategically, politically, militarily, this had been one of the most brilliant moves that had ever been made in Judah's history. Resting on his own genius, Asa's two-front war plan had enabled him to gain peace, avoid war, make strategic allies, and establish himself as a great leader. And he'd done it all by himself. I can see him having his own little Nebuchadnezzar moment right now. Is this not great Judah that I have saved? But friends, even a stopped clock, a clock with no battery in it, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. And Asa's decision right here had been one of the most dangerous decisions he would ever make. A story is told of a farmer who even in death tried to mock God. And so when he died, he willed his farm to the devil. And as you can imagine, this caused the courts quite a lot of trouble and great deliberation until finally they came to this conclusion. They said... It is decided that the best way to carry out the wish of the deceased is to allow the farm to grow weeds, the soil to erode, and the house and the barn to rot. In our opinion, the best way to leave something to the devil is to do nothing. And friends, evidently Asa somewhere, somehow has stopped seeking God. And that's how Satan gets a hold of good people. When we stop hanging on to Jesus, the enemy looks at us and he just rubs his hands and says, you will be eventually mine. But friends, God had a message for Asa. Notice it, verse 7. 
At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. While everybody thought that Asa was the most brilliant person in the world, it appears that God's prophet assessed the situation quite differently. And God's prophet, whose name here means my grace, he tells him, listen, Asa, nothing is hidden from God. God sees through high-priced and low-rent walls. God, at a glance, he looks at this world, and in a glance, he takes in your position. He knows your name. He knows whatever crisis you face. Not a sorrow, not a trial, not a temptation comes your way without his notice, without exciting his sympathy for you. And whenever God looks at this world, evidently according to Scripture, he is always looking for the same kind of people. They may not have charisma, education, style, culture, education, whatever, in common. But what they share is a heart that is totally surrendered, committed to God. And that's what he is looking for. I think of people like Caleb, like Daniel, like Abraham, who was able to climb that mountain of absolute surrender and still be willing to offer his son. Friends, oh, that you and I would trust God fully so that we could allow him to work on our behalf. Amen? It is for lack of this that we remain unhelped and live our lives in the midst of wars. But friends, if you notice what happens in verse 10, watch what he did to God's prophet. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him. Because of this, Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Friends, the trouble with a lot of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Asa didn't just get angry at God's prophet. He was fuming mad at him. He just clouded up and rained all over him. Who was this guy and where did he come from? Who asked this man for his opinion anyway? Sometimes God's prophets aren't popular with God's people. But friends, you can't get rid of the message by getting rid of the messenger. Amen? And I'm reminded of a quote Mrs. White made. In 1873, she said, I have been shown that the greatest reason why the people of God are now found in this state of spiritual blindness is this, that they will not receive correction. And then she made another comment in Testimonies, Volume 4, page 87. She said, the only hope for the Laodiceans is a clear view of their standing before God, a knowledge of the nature of their disease. Sometimes, I know we don't like correction, but sometimes that's exactly what we need. Well, friends, it was all downhill from there. And you say, well, Sharissa, you know, maybe it was just a bad day. Maybe he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed, and I wish that that was true. But if you notice with me, verses 12 and 13 indicate that this became a characteristic of his life. Verse 12, And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, 
but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers and died in the 41st year of his reign. I've never been one for fairy tales, but with all my heart, I wish that I could stand here in front of you today and tell you that Asa lived happily ever after, but the Bible doesn't read that way. His feet, diseased, told the story of his heart. This once mighty monarch walked away from God never to walk again. Friends, nothing is worse than losing God. Is God missing in your life and mine? Asa reminds us this morning that starting well spiritually is no guarantee of finishing well spiritually. He was not the first general to win the battle and then afterwards lose the war. Oh yes, I'm sure you know many people. When they come to Jesus, they're so excited and it's wonderful. They enjoy Jesus. They enjoy spending time with him, talking of him, sharing with him. But as time goes on, that experience begins to die and they walk away from Jesus. Their reasons are many and varied. Satan has a thousand ways in which he seeks to drown our faith. Starting is easy is what I'm trying to say. It's the finishing well that tests us. Why did I come here to this story? Because what happened to Asa could very well happen to us too if our hearts are not set in the right direction. So question, how can we avoid the disaster that came to Asa? We have to turn our eyes to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus because one of the defining characteristics of God's people at the end of time is this, that they will have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen? What was that testimony? Well, part of it we find in John chapter 5 and verse 30. Come with me to the book of John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, He says, I can of myself do how much? How much? Nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father, the Father who sent me. Friends, God is not lost, but he is begging for us to find him, because many of us have lost our connection with Jesus Christ. Friends, we don't want a dial-up connection with God. We want a broadband connection. Amen? Enoch had a broadband connection with heaven. He walked with God all his life and he walked straight into heaven. The great need of our church today, the great need of us today is the same as the church's need in the time of Judah. In the book of Amos chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, God says, seek me and live. Amen? But sometimes like Paul, we feel like Paul in Romans chapter 7 and verse 18 when he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. To, for to will is present with me, but how to perform I do not find. Friends, we need to find ourselves with Paul at the foot of the cross, looking up to Jesus and begging and, and pleading with him for the grace that comes from above to help us walk with God. Amen? This is what Pentecost is all about. This is what seeking God is all about. And by the way, friends, 
We can't afford to be diseased in our feet like Asa. The Bible tells us that our feet ought to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And do you remember how I told you the first three works of the Holy Spirit was conviction, conversion, and cleansing? The fourth work of the Spirit is the work of commission. The Holy Spirit always comes to make us useful. Amen? And by the way, when we seek God, we become involved in the seeking Savior's work. The Bible tells us that the Son of Man did not come to... Sorry, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen? And I'm winding up now because my clock is telling me I'm out of time. But the Holy Spirit is present wherever there is action. When He fell on that New Testament church, we didn't get the book of new ideas. We got the book of Acts. And I believe that God's desire for this church is to finish well. Someone once said that the wind of God's Spirit is always blowing, but it's up to us to set the sails. Friends, at this GYC, it's time for you and I to set our sails to seek God and to seek His face. If we have walked away from Him, it's time for us to walk with Him and walk with Him till He comes to walk us home. Amen? At the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico, there were many highlights. But there was one that stands out. And it happened during the marathon race. And it wasn't memorable because uh, this person finished, come, this person finished uh, first, second or third. Actually, this person finished last. And um, this is what happened. When the race began, John Stephen Akwari from Tanzania started off with everybody else. There were 72 runners in this race. But shortly after he started, he fell and he hurt himself. But instead of giving up, he bandaged himself up and he kept running. Well, an hour went by and all the runners had started, probably more than that, all the runners came back. And after an hour, after everybody had received their medals and people were packing up to go home, camera crews were shutting down. John Stephen Akawari of Tanzania entered the stadium to finish the race and he crossed the finish line. And someone went up to him and asked him at the end of it all, why did you keep running? It was over. Everybody had, you know, the medals were done. And this is what he said. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Friends, Asa didn't finish well, but by God's grace, we can and we will. And uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to have a time of prayer together where we are going to set our hearts to seek God's face. And I invite you now to join us, Valmy and myself, we'll be on our knees. And we're going to begin with prayer. And I'd like you, as you go to your knees, to join me in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 you can join me on your knees if you're able the Bible says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land.
we're just going to give you a moment to pray privately and set your heart, set the sails in your life to seek God's face. Humble yourself before him. This message was made available by GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit gycweb.org. Candice Bergen is now going to sing Our Quiet Place from the album A New Song Collective. i
From the album No More Goodbyes, Carly Fletcher is now going to sing God to Know You. God to know you is to search out who you really are. To know you is to read your word and humbly learn of what you do. To pray and talk with you. This is my desire to know you, God, to know you is to come before you as I am, to know you is to feel my utter helplessness and
G'day, my name is Dr. Andrew Pennington and I'm the practice principal and an integrative general practitioner at Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Waitara in Sydney. Today I want to talk to you about how to use exercise to treat and potentially reverse your type 2 diabetes. In particular, I'm going to talk about high intensity exercise. Now, Guidelines around most Western societies suggest that we should uh, be involved in doing 30 minutes of moderate intensity uh, physical activity every day, and I would certainly agree with that. But when it comes to type 2 diabetes, you can actually get some significant improvement, even greater than the 30 minutes a day, using high intensity exercise. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the way that I talk to my patients about how to do this. It's actually quite easy. You can do this in many ways. There are many exercise modalities that are amenable to high intensity exercise, whether you want to do it via swimming or via walking and running or jogging and running uh, or even boxing or cycling. There are a lot of ways you can do it. But the principle here is that when we do high intensity exercise, and this is exercise where we're exercising close to our limit, around a 90 to 100% capacity of effort, this actually has a significant effect on the muscle's ability to take up blood sugar and take it out of the bloodstream and put it into the muscles where it can be utilized for energy production. And when we do this high intensity exercise, it actually fools in some ways the muscle into thinking that it needs to do more effort than it is. And it upregulates the sensitivity of the hormone insulin, which pulls blood sugar from the bloodstream into the tissue. So Interestingly, studies have shown that we really don't need to do very much exercise at a high intensity level to get the benefit here. It's actually about six minutes every week. Do you think you've got six minutes? Six minutes is really not a lot of time. Now, I would say that six minutes just doing high intensity exercise might not be the best way to approach it. And that's why I like the concept of high intensity interval training. High intensity interval training is basically where you start off exercising in whatever capacity you want to do. I find possibly the easiest way to do this is on a stationary bike. So imagine if, you, if you've got access to a stationary bike, either at a gymnasium near you or at home, you can easily adapt this into your setting. And the way I explain to my patients is, I want you to start getting onto that bike and going at about a 50% effort. 
So, and do that for about two minutes. And of course, you should warm up before you do this, a little bit of a stretch. And I should also mention, of course, check with your doctor to make sure that this is appropriate for you, your medical condition before you engage in high intensity uh, interval-based training. But assuming that you've got the medical clearance and check up from your doctor to do this, then start with the, about two minutes of 50% effort. So you're sort of strolling along there. It's not particularly difficult for you to do it, but you're just starting to get your heart rate up again. And then at the two minute mark, I want you to really go whole hog out, really go hard um, and do that for 20 seconds. So you're strolling on and you're, oh, you're really going as fast as you possibly can or close to as fast as you possibly can. And at the end of 20 seconds, just slow it back again to about a 50% effort and continue to do that for about two minutes. And then again, go back into another 20 seconds of going really, really fast and then slow it back to two minutes. So if you, if you sort of add this up, if you did that block of about 12 to 14 minutes a day, which is very achievable, I think, you've actually got at least one and a half minutes of high intensity exercise. And all you need to do is do that four times a week. Pretty simple. I encourage you to give this a go and you'll be surprised at how much improvement you can get on your diabetes level. You may even surprise your doctor. Of course, as I mentioned, check with them that this isn't appropriate for your uh, particular situation. They don't have any injuries that preclude you from doing this or you don't have cardiovascular disease, which may need to be treated prior to doing this level of exercise. It's a great way I find of improving blood sugar control in someone who has type two diabetes and certainly part of the potential for reversing this condition. Uh, if you'd like to know more principles about how lifestyle strategies can actually treat or prevent chronic disease such as diabetes, sanctuaryclinic.com.au. You can also go to our Facebook page, just search for Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.